Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey, hey, friends, and welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. My name is Kate Warman, and I'm so thrilled that you are tuning in as always. But honestly, today, I really am excited because I had the honor of sitting down with an old friend of mine who was also a pastor of mine from when I used to live in New York City. Now, before we get into this conversation all about the Enneagram and discipleship and spiritual formation, I just want to let you know, guys, that we have a lot of amazing things coming up in the next season. Things having to do with my brand new book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, as well as some other incredible events and hint, hint, maybe even a conference in 2021. So if you want to be sure to be in the know about all of these incredible things, then the best way to do that is to be on our email list. But you guys know that with that, I am all about serving you. So in order to get on our email list, I actually want to give you something in return. You can get all the updates and you can get a free guide that will tell you how to show interest to your crush, whether you are a guy or a girl. So you can go to heartofdating.com forward slash show interest. And by signing up for that free PDF guide, it will get emailed to you and you will be put on our email list so you can get updates about every event that we have coming up. Okay, one more thing. It's been a while since we've shared about reviews at Heart of Dating, and I want to quickly remind you of how much reviews help podcasters. Truly, friends. So whether you're new here or whether you have never written us a review and you've listened forever, would you just take a second to scroll to the bottom of iTunes, rank us as five stars, and then click a little button that says write a review, and then write a review of your choice, either about this episode, a favorite episode, or about our podcast overall. It really helps us to continue to get discovered and grow so that we can continue to bring you content week after week. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you, you know, we're in a time of chaos and confusion and brokenness, grief, all the things. And honestly, there are some daily comforts that just make you grateful and feel more grounded in life. Things like petting your dog, hitting this news button, and even that first cup of coffee. Thank you, Lord, and amen. Now, these things are things that you can count on every day to help get you where you want to go. It creates a sense of normalcy. But you know what also carries me personally through the day? Things that are short and sweet that lift my eyes to Jesus. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It is the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who have encountered God in daily real life situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or printed magazine. You can enjoy a free 30-day trial of their email or their app service by visiting upperroom.org forward slash welcome. It's upper, U-P-P-E-R-R-O-O-M dot org forward slash welcome to get a 30-day free trial. All right, friends, today I am so excited to share with you a conversation that I had with a dear friend of mine who used to be the pastor of a church that I went to back in the day when I lived in New York City. His name is AJ Sherrill. 
AJ is brilliant, okay? He is truly way smarter than me. And his latest book, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, was truly the first Enneagram book that really helped me to not only understand myself in a brand new way, but see how I can grow in Christ through my Enneagram type and really develop into the fullness of who God created me to be. Today, we talk about how the Enneagram applies to dating as well as our spiritual formation and discipleship and how it is more important important than ever that we do those things right now in our singleness and dating lives. AJ Sherrill has more than 20 years of experience as a pastor, including the role of lead pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He is an adjunct professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, where he teaches popular courses on transformational preaching and the Enneagram. He receives many speaking requests to lead Enneagram workshops across the country. And in fact, today he talks about how you can even connect with him if you want to do some Enneagram coaching. You guys, this conversation is so rich. I think you're really going to walk away feeling challenged, learning more about yourself, excited, and re-energized about the Enneagram in a new way and how it relates to discipleship and your spiritual formation. And I just cannot wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's get into this episode today with AJ Sherrill. Jay Cheryl, hey, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. It is so good to hear your voice, my friend. It's been a while. <laughs> I can't believe it. When we were exchanging emails and on Facebook, I was like, oh my gosh, AJ, what is up? I can't believe it. We're going to have to tell people how we know each other before we get all right, into go all for this. It. I'll leave it for you. Yeah. So when you reached out, I was like, oh my gosh, AJ. And I've been kind of following you for a bit now, just through the, you know, social spheres and seeing connections. I I recognize that you're really your friends, that John Mark Homer, who I just love and all of his work and and a few other people. So AJ, you were my pastor back in the days when I lived in Manhattan at Trinity Grace Church in Chelsea. Honestly, it was one of my favorite ministry seasons. And I can remember you and your friends, you guys had like a cadre of just really amazing people that would come in (laughs) every week. And I just was such, it was just such a blessing to know you and that season of New York City was, was really it was phenomenal. I I will tell you that coming to Trinity Grace and under your leadership was super transformative in my life. I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but I'll just share it for the context of dating and all the things. But I had just gotten out of a really bad abusive relationship actually. And I had made the decision that I needed to switch churches. And I someone had told me about Trinity Grace. And so I literally showed up one Sunday and I heard that you guys were doing a retreat that was like hearing the voice of God. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds intense and amazing. (laughs) Um, And so like I was there with my best friend, Nika, and she, we both just said, we don't know anybody here, but we're going to sign up and we're going to go on this like retreat. And yeah, who doesn't want to hear the yeah, voice of God? Sure. Yes. I was like, wow, that sounds great. And like, I remember we had an afternoon. So we did, we went on this retreat, didn't know anybody and just felt so loved. And just really, it was that season of my life. Cause I was in a very hard place, just healing from people listening to this podcast, know part of my story of abuse. And just, so literally it found Trinity Grace found, was under your leadership and just 
the greatest healing season. Honestly, just the community, the people at the church, I got so much spiritual healing, truly, that I just, my soul needed. And as well, I feel like it was the beginning of my journey of connecting to the Holy Spirit in such a deeper way. So I'm just going to say, AJ, you, that was incredible season. So I don't even think you knew all that, but I just want to thank you for like spearheading that community because it really was a blessing to me in that season. Uh, That's really kind. We had like really, there was something really special in the people there and that there was all this expectation and longing. And at the same time, we had a sense of rooting in the gospel where it didn't just feel like anything goes, do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. It really felt like, hey, how do we ground ourselves in the historic faith, but also really pursue life in the spirit? And people were just like in, and it was it was so cool to do that in the middle of Manhattan. It was awesome. In Chelsea. I now live in Charleston, yeah. so I'm not there anymore. Yeah. But I live in Charleston now by the beach, and uh, we're uh, chasing similar things today. So, <laughs> Just so cool. I love to see the progression of everything. And back then, I think – so today we're going to kind of go into some of the Enneagram, which I love to talk about. I, I totally geek out on it. But the first time I heard about it was actually from somebody in the Trinity Grace community, honestly. Probably because maybe they heard about it from you, honestly. But I honestly heard about it then. I remember doing the test and then I dropped it. I didn't really care about it until a few years ago because, you know, and you mentioned this in your new book, but like the Enneagram has become like this crazy big rage in the Christian world. (laughs) It's like this funny thing Mm -hmm. now. But I'm so curious, how did you get into the Enneagram? And just on that note of it's a big rage in the church, like what do you see happening with the Enneagram in the church right now? Yeah. I mean, I learned it from, I was taking a doctoral class years ago with um, Father Richard Rohr a little monk out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he just started sort of gushing. There were about five of us that were at his house all week. And he was um, just doing some teachings with us. And he he said the Enneagram. And I was like, wait, wait, what? The pentagram? What are you talking about? (laughs) And so we got him off topic for like half a day. And I was immediately in because, um, you know, most personality theories talk about how great you are. And that's great. But this one really talked about like how not great you are as well. (laughs) And I was like, wait, I think I need to hear this. And there's one or two of these types that really make me uncomfortable. And maybe I should lean toward that rather than away from that. Yes. So I got really into it and just started realizing all the things I don't know, I don't know about myself, all the ways I'm motivated in certain ways. And I think there's a couple reasons Christians are getting into it today. Number one, they don't want to feel left out of conversations, but I I think we're seeing people, it's sort of a cocktail of two ingredients. I think there's a deep longing for self-awareness and desire to sort of get under the hood of our childhood, of our mischief, of some of that stuff. Also like what we're seeing societally, like naming racism, naming parts of our own story that, hey, we need to own that and take responsibility for that to change that and transform that because you can't transform what you don't name. Um, but then the other side of that is narcissism. I think we're we're prone to want to know more about ourselves. Oh my gosh, tell and it so how it the is. thing about the Enneagram, you can actually use it, you can channel narcissism in a redemptive direction <laughs> if there is like a redemptive side Ooh, of narcissism. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's not just use this to talk about how great we are. Let's actually use this to talk about how we want to bring our brokenness into the light of Christ through specific spiritual practices that have a lot to do with our personality. And let's grow. Let's become the kinds of people that Jesus has in mind for the world. So that's the kind of work I'm really interested in as a pastor and, and as a you know tinker in all things 
sort of interesting. Yeah, I found to, to your point that it's been very interesting. It's almost like this trendy, like you have to, like everyone's like, oh, well, what type are you? And it's like people may take it, the test or a test just to know their number, but never do the deep dive, but just so that they can yeah. in conversation be like, oh, I'm a four, yeah, you know, like totally. or, or whatever have you. But then there's other people who are like, oh my gosh, I roll the Enneagram. It's coming up again, you know? And <laughs> it's just, there's so much like, really, do we have to talk about that again? You yeah. know? And I kind of just, I want to make, I would love for there to be a reset for all of that because I think that we are, there's like been this rush of people being so into it, but then there's also now this like kind of like uh lackadaisical, I don't, the people don't want to kind of look at it anymore. And that's not for yeah. everyone, but they're, they're exhausted by it. <laughs> I get it. I call that chronological snobbery. <laughs> what that means is that you were really into it two to three years ago and then everyone else got into it. And now you think you're like better than it. So that's just called, that just means you learned it earlier than some of your friends. And that's just chronological snobbery. So don't be a jerk. <laughs> but the second part of it is you're right. Uh, it's been used as sort of a parlor trick to put people in a box or to say like, oh, I know I'm a four, I can move on. The idea for me isn't to say I'm a four, how do I know everything about a four? Because you can you can take that path and it's exhausting. It leads very, very long. But the idea is to say, okay, how do I work my number? I remember um, one of my spiritual heroes, Adele Calhoun, told me once, AJ, if you're not going to work your number, you're wasting your time. So like the goal of the Enneagram isn't the Enneagram. The goal of the Enneagram is to gain self-knowledge and self-awareness so that you can move into naming more and practicing with the presence of God so you can heal those parts of you that are broken. Uh, and that's where things get really interesting. So when I do workshops all over the world, it's like, hey, listen, people, we've only done half of this workshop and we've only been talking about types, but guess what? Here's where the fun begins because here's where you get to design your life based on following Jesus within your unique personality and what God's calling you to. So that's the stuff that really gets me up in the morning is helping people design a way of life that puts them more in touch with the presence of God based on their personality. Yeah. What I love about this too, and you and I were speaking about this before is, you know, obviously this is a dating podcast and what what I encourage so many of our listeners to do is what a gift that we get the freedom and time to seek Christ in a unique way and a very special and a very intimate way. And at the same time, kind of have space and time to seek this self-awareness and get to know ourselves because this will, doing this kind of work now will set us up for such potentially a richer situation and a more healing situation when we do meet someone. We'll have more self-awareness, more ability to name our tendencies and know our triggers. And there's so many, even know how we show up in relationships. I've mm -hmm. learned so much about my past dating history based on now what I know to be my tendencies through what's been revealed in my work with the Enneagram. I'm like, oh, Oh, that's why I did those things. You know, <laughs> it's so true. And again, the enneagram is a motive theory, and so like it really helps you get underneath behavior. So most personality theories, it's why it's hard to test. Most personality theories are about behavior, so it's like what you can see, what's manifested in the world. But the enneagram helps you get underneath all that, underneath the surface of the water, to know what's driving your behavior. Because people, two people, can manifest the same behavior, but for different reasons. And so knowing like what's actually motivating you to do what you do, I think is really insightful. In terms of relationships, like Elena and I, she's, um, Elena, I'm her husband. She, we laugh our heads off about this because when we look at our types together, I present type three and she presents type five, okay. which means she's like investigator, researcher, yes. knows all the details, way smarter than me, X, Y, Z. So 
I'll come home from work and I'll be like, hey, so-and-so told me they're going to the Caribbean on vacation. And she'll be like, oh, that's cool. Who are they going with? And I'll be like, I don't know. She'll be like, well, what island? I don't know, Elena. Okay, cool. Like, what are they going to be doing there? Do you know the dates they're going? Like, I don't know. (laughs) And so it's hysterical because I'll come home from work and probably at least once a week, I'll say this as a preface to what I'm about to say. I'll say, okay, babe, I'm about to tell you something, but this is all I know. So please don't ask me any follow-up questions because I'm just going to feel stupid because I didn't think about those questions like you do. And we just have times where it's just so funny to sit back and to laugh at yourself realizing like, I know what she's going to say. I know how she's going to tick. I know it's going to be interesting for her. And to meet her at that place beforehand and say, don't ask me any questions because I don't know the answers. <laughs> it's just part of our dynamic. And we we just, this has been really helpful for us as a, as a partnership in this world. Yeah. I really, ha- I love that. That's hilarious. Actually, and I love that she's a type five because I my roommate is a type five. And she, as a female, I just don't know quite as many female type fives. And I think they're brilliant and amazing. Yes. And I love that. <laughs> so AJ, I think it's so cool. People who, are, there's a lot of people listening who may know a bit about the Enneagram, but I, but also people who don't. And in reading your book, well, first tell us about your book, what the name of it is, because you know, you just came out with this. It's so phenomenal and such a great tool. I flew through it just because I was like, this is so helpful that I went back and took more notes and underlined and I have like screenshotted pages to friends of mine and, and all the things. But will you just tell quickly as we dive in even deeper here about the book and like what your motivation was for writing it? Yeah, my the book's called The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, and it's really how to take the Enneagram and apply it to your life. So every there's like a, a brief typology where you can kind of explore your type. And that's not a very exhaustive section because I don't want people to waste all of their time in just learning about their type. I want them to then take their type and think about spiritual practices that go with their type. So I prescribe two of them per type, practices that you should pay attention to that are going to help you experience the intimacy of God more mm. thoroughly. It was so cool that you did that, honestly. I was like, and we're going to get into that because I loved that part. I mean, I love the whole book, but I, I thought that was so helpful. Yeah. I mean, I even noticed like uh, helping people find themselves in the Bible. So what is your type? Where can you find narratives in the scripture that help you get more in touch with how your story plays out with people that might have similar motives? Obviously, we know context has changed since the Bible was written. Technology has changed. However, those motives in life, whether it's love or whether it's greed or whether it's lust or whether it's peace, whatever those motives are in your life, those are the same. Those don't change in human history. So I want to give people tools to get back into the scripture and to not see these people that wrote it as these like old timey people that have nothing to do with my life, (laughs) but that you can actually find your stories played out in the scriptures through similar motives as people sort of had the same sort of personality that maybe you do. And so every type gets a biblical narrative that you should pay attention to for your transformation. But I think what I'm really excited about more than anything is the difference between identity and personality. I spend a lot of time deconstructing that for people because a lot of people get tripped up on the shame of their personality and they think that's who they are. And that's like a problem. It's a problem for your dating life. It's a problem for your personal life. It's a problem for your family life and your friend life. And so how do we help disentangle some of that confusion so that people can know who they are 
and not confuse that with their personality. Yeah. So actually that was my first note. I I loved that. And you like kind of broke that down in the beginning of the book. Would you do a little bit of that for us here? Because for me, this was a huge eye opener because I I definitely like laid in the camp of not really sure the difference, you know, and this was super helpful. And for everyone listening, like you do, you have these awesome diagrams in the book too, with the tree. And I mean, I'm very visual. So now seeing those diagrams are like permanently stamped in my mind as reference points where I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense, you know, but uh, would you just like break down a little bit of that for us? Yeah. So imagine this tree, you can see the root system into the soil. That's your identity. Mm. It's what's not negotiable. It's not under sort of negotiation with God. And that is that you are beloved. Like you don't have to do anything for God to love you. Like God loves us first and your name is beloved. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And so what we have to reclaim, I think, in our identity, this root system of our life is that we are a beloved child of God. And that means that nothing can take that away from me and that I don't have to go searching for belovedness from other people because that often leads to manipulation. I don't have to go searching for my belovedness in my resume or my job status because that leads to all sorts of control strategies and pride or despair and depression at worst. And so I can be beloved and recognize that every day, and it leaves me into a place of greater freedom throughout my day. Now, the difference between identity and personality is that personality is not your identity. It's a strategy. It's a strategy that you have developed over the course of time to cope and to thrive in a beautiful and broken world. So like if your root system is your identity, it's what's underneath the soil, it's that you're beloved the stem or the trunk that comes up that the world sees is your personality. Those are the things in which you manifest certain behaviors. And those are largely forged because throughout the course of your life, you have developed strategies, which are the nine types. We could call them the nine strategies more than the nine Enneagram types, because these are all different strategies that we have developed in order to navigate life because it's complicated, right? So I want to help people know that like when they feel that sense of shame or humiliation or despair because they're tinkering around with their personality, you don't have to take that to the root gut level, beloved child of God of you level. You get to say, okay, that's my personality and it is what it is, but I can grow in that and Christ can get a hold and transform my life. We're not sort of um, in a place where we're totalized and defined by that, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I love that. That separation is so key because I think oftentimes we read the Enneagram and to your point from earlier, it can be a little bit exposing. Like it's almost like, and I wrote about this a little bit in my upcoming book that comes out in February, but I read my type for the first time and I was like, I have been found out. Like I have been Mm -hmm. like, what in the world? Like, did somebody just read the inner workings of my motivation? And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, it's exposing. And it's like, okay, here are some of the tendencies. But that does it to separate our identity, our identity of rootedness and belovedness that we, that it cannot be taken away from us is give it like it is, uh, it's inherent, right? It's so key to recognize that. And that's where I think 
it's so important to have that because then we can just say, oh, so our personality is a strategy that we've learned to cope, just like you said, and that can be shifted. And I can also have, you know, grace for myself for the fact that I learned to cope those ways because of things in my childhood and things that happened to me throughout the course of life, you know? And so with this too, AJ, and I, I love this part too, but the shadow side, I've talked about this a bit, but what what is this whole shadow side kind of thing? <laughs> I mean, the shadows, it was, it, it's been developed in psychology for a long time. And it's essentially that which we just suppress and it doesn't get into our sort of consciousness. Mm. It's things that we know are true at a precognitive level. Mm. So things that maybe you haven't named or things that maybe you did consciously hide because you don't want to face them. Mm. These are the things that are sort of underneath the rug of your life that we prefer to remain hidden. I mean, you talk about humiliation, you know, Richard Rohr told me that the way to really know your type is the type that leads to the greatest sense of humiliation. So have fun with that. <laughs> but we spend a lot of our time trying to hide that, which we don't want ourselves to face nor others to see. So a lot of the work of the Enneagram is just being willing. It's having this sort of maturity in life to be responsible for the way you show up and the way you have shown up and bringing whatever is in that shadow out into the light and being able to look at it. And that, that's why I love the difference between personality and identity, that whatever you're looking at, your personality, that's not you. Yes, that's, that's just good. your personality. That's just your strategy. Yeah. So you don't, that humiliation you feel about it doesn't have to leave you to shame and despair. It can lead you to all sorts of curiosity about, okay, now that I know that, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to grow because of now I know that? That's helpful. It's like saying, you know, if you had food on your mouth and you were on a date, you would probably want to know, right? As much as it would be embarrassing, you'd be like, please don't let me sit with this piece of fish, yeah. you know, on my cheek for the rest of the night. You'd be like, hey, people that love me would tell me, right? So it's sort of that kind of deal. I think this is such a key distinction because when we pull back the curtain, oftentimes we see it and we think this is us. Like, oh my gosh, how can that be me? But distinguishing again from that identity versus personality, that isn't who you are. It's just something that you've learned to do, <laughs> you know? And mm -hmm that thing that you've learned to do, you can also learn to undo and learn to shift into something different. I think that is so key because in for me in this journey of realizing a lot of my tendencies, actually, you mentioned you are a type three. I am as well. Like So I've, in my journey, it's been a lot of, wow, okay. So a lot of those things you were doing and you do a good job at a lot of these things, but your motivation for it was to get something else, you know, and, and I've had to really take a deep look into some of my motivations and why I've been doing things, which even in, in ways I don't, didn't want to admit some of the ways I was doing things was just, it was even manipulative to be very honest. And I, I never would have seen it before, but if I can, if I look at myself and say, oh, that was, had some manipulative motivation. If I can't separate between my identity and personality, I'm going to fall into a deep, dark pit and feel like get overtaken by shame, you know, and then I will probably never end up changing that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so separating those two things, I think is so important as we look in behind the curtain at some of our strategies and tendencies. Yeah. I mean, even this morning I was on a walk and just to give you an example, um, especially if you're a three, if you're a two, if you're a seven, if you're an eight, those types will particularly resonate with this. I was saying to myself on this walk, I said, okay, AJ, how do you really feel right now? And in just a prayer walk, I just said, Lord, I feel insecure. And I was able to, you know, usually that would lead to a place of just like really like darkness and 
what is my problem? And I just haven't earned enough. I'm not good enough. What's wrong with me? What do others say about me? All that kind of stuff. And it was like that moment where I just sensed the Holy Spirit say, okay, so you're insecure. What does God say about you? And it was like this immediate, well, I'm beloved. And it was like this total freedom to not feel in bondage to what I feel or to what others say about me, to what others think about me, to what I have, what I do, all that stuff. It just gets put in its proper place to where you just feel grounded. You feel a little less imprisoned by the fact that we all are sort of walking around feeling inadequate. And we have all these strategies to fill the gap. Some people fight that. Others flee from that and hide. Others sort of freeze up and don't know what to do about it. But we all feel inadequate most of the day. And so getting back to that identity, back to that belovedness constantly is like really good medicine for me. Yeah. I, I love that you're saying that because I find too, dating often brings up some of these things the most in people, like our inadequacy, our inability to feel loved and valued. I think in dating, it's where a lot of this is triggered probably the most out of anything, at least from what I found. And which is why, again, I come back to how good and important and I think just valuable this is for us to dive into as singles. Hey friends, so I want to take a quick break today in the episode to share with you a product I have been loving that I think you're going to love as well. Now in this quarantine season specifically, I have just been trying to take some better care of myself. I've been working on my skincare regimen, I've been trying to work out as much as I possibly can, and then one area that I've really spent some love and care on is with my hair care routine. A few years back, I was actually platinum blonde. Yep, indeed, I basically had white blonde hair, but needless to say, I've been trying to grow and lengthen and make my hair really healthy ever since then. Now, I am one of those people that loves recommendations from people I trust. So for the last few years, I've been asking friends who have amazing hair. I'm like, what shampoo and conditioner do you use? I need to use it right now. Then I would find the product, buy it, and I would try it out. And I gotta say this, it never exactly works the same for me as it does for other people. Until I finally found a genie in a bottle hair product that is literally built custom just for me. It's called Function of Beauty. Function of Beauty saved my hair life, you guys. It is hair care that is formulated specifically for you. No matter your hair type, they create shampoo, conditioner, and treatments to fit your unique needs. Function of Beauty has over 54 trillion possible ingredient combinations to make sure your formula is as unique to you as possible. This is how it works. First, you take a short quiz to really find out more about your hair. Then Function of Beauty's team determines the right blend of ingredients for your specific hair. Then they bottle your custom formula to order. You can even decide what color you want your products to be and the fragrance that you want it to smell like. Then they deliver your personalized formula right to your door in a cute customized bottle. They even print your name on it, okay? It's so cute. Their formulas are vegan and cruelty-free. They never use sulfates, parabens, or any other harmful ingredients. Function of Beauty is not just the first ever custom hair care brand. It's actually the internet's top-rated customized hair care brand. They have over 40,000 real five-star reviews and counting. So you can go to functionofbeauty.com heart to take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first order. You can purchase one time or you could do a subscription model, whatever is best for you. So go to functionofbeauty.com forward slash heart for 20% off and then let them know that you heard about this from Heart of Dating. 
I love function and beauty and so grateful that they helped me transform my hair. AJ, I want to ask you, because I want to go into also some of the discipleship practices and pieces for the different types and just whether or not we get to go into all of that. I just found that part of the book also so helpful and fascinating. And first, before we go into some of that, I'm curious to learn why you believe that spiritual formation and then these practices are so important, especially as singles and right now in this season of singleness and dating. Yeah. I mean, many of you are familiar with neuroplasticity, Mm -hmm. um, meaning that you can change your brain function. You can change your patterns in your brain, your rewiring of your brain for health, emotional trauma that can be healed. There's all new sorts of ways to do that, as well as just being more in our bodies and more at one with the holistic nature of how God created us. I think formation is really important. Like People are now looking at an integrated formation of mind body and emotions. Mm -hmm. And so those things need to be healed at their deepest levels. When I think about it in terms of dating, you know, the conversation we're talking about is becoming, we want to become like Christ. We want to become whole as God intended us to be. And when we think about dating, often we're thinking about finding the person to sort of like solve the woundedness in me, right? Now we wouldn't say that, but that's the shadow side. That's what's underneath that is I want to find someone that's going to solve the mystery of who I am or the brokenness of what I've been through or et cetera, et cetera. And I remember Andy Stanley saying something a long time ago. He's a pastor in Atlanta and it just blew my mind. He asked this question when it came to dating. He said, are you becoming the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. Yes. (laughs) I love that quote. I knew it as you were saying it. Yep. (laughs) And it's such a great way to think about, okay, what if dating is actually about becoming someone and not just finding someone? Yes. Because you will find the caliber of person. They're going to be attracted to you based on the maturity level Mm -hmm. and formation that you yourself have. Now you can, you can fake it, yeah. But over time, you're going to be caught because you can't sustain faking formation. Right. You know, you're either especially like, in intimacy when people get yes. under the layers, like you're going to yes. be found out. <laughs> That's right. You're either gentle or you're not. You're either <laughs> yes. self-controlled or you're not. You're, you know, you're either loving and patient or you're not. And so, you know, over time, those things, you know, as as relationships get more familiar, you really let your guard down and show who you are. And so, in the midst of that, like the question that I think the Enneagram can help us get at is the becoming question. Yes. You know, if I long for this kind of a person, am I putting myself in a position to become the kind of person that that person would actually be attracted to? And that's a really great conversation to have, not for the sake of just getting that person, but for the sake really of you becoming whole within yourself. Because it's it's not like two unwhole people make a whole person. Right, right, it's, right. It's that two whole people can actually have a whole go at being whole in the world and being generative for the sake of bringing something beautiful into the world, right? And that's where dating needs to end. Isn't like, hey, I'm lonely, you're lonely. Let's let's make each other happy. It's like, you know, I think the best relationships don't stand eye to eye. They stand shoulder to shoulder. And they're so whole that they can look out into the world and say, okay, what have we together? Why has God put us together for the sake of the wholeness of the world, for the flourishing of the world? So even your relationship isn't about itself. It's about this world. It's about being generative. Oh my gosh, I'm just like nodding my head, all the yeses, like all of the things. John Mark Homer said in his book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I think he said it in this book, but he said it and I've heard it and he said, you know, who are you becoming by the things you're doing? And 
I love, I mean, that stuck with me ever since I heard him say that. And it's, I think that in our singleness is the time to prove who we are becoming by the things that we are doing. And then I, two years ago, I had an interview with Addison Bevere and he was like, set yourself up with the disciplines now that you want to carry into your marriage. That will be a model mm-hmm. for then your marriage. And yes. there's just so many elements we're looking to be with someone else that's like, oh, well, and I, I see it, especially on the, the female side. A lot of times, like I'm looking just for that guy that's a spiritual leader who's going to like lead me through all the ways. And I'm like, but wait, like, what? <laughs> wait a second. Mm-hmm. We need to become whole individuals now. Let's look at what Paul says in Corinthians about like the singleness time. Like this is our time to have undivided devotion to the Lord, to do incredible things for the kingdom, to know who we are in God. Like, I, I mean, and this is our time. It's not that we're ladies. We're not sitting here just waiting for somebody to to come and yes. lead us around. Like we don't, I think that's actually demeaning, honestly, a yes. little bit personally. Yes. But I, I just, I think that this time is, yeah, who are we becoming? Are, whenever I help people through, you know, just the qualities they're looking for and we talk about it in one-on-one date coaching, I'm like, okay, yes, these are great qualities. Now, I also want you to turn that list on yourself and say, do I have those qualities? <laughs> you know, because you can't expect something that you also aren't giving <laughs> and yes. or able to produce. And so, whew, but we live in a culture of all these other narratives that it's like, let me just get something that will serve me, you know? And that is so the opposite of how God intended for relationship to be. So AJ, Let's get into some of these practices, if you don't mind. I don't know if we want to go into all of them, but I'm so curious on like why you form them into different ones per type and like how, if any, I don't know if we want to go through them or just, I mean, people should also just read the book because it has it all in there. But I'm so interested because I want people to kind of identify with why there are different practices for each type, just the practicality that they can take away from today. Yeah, I'll give a quick intro and then I'm going to have you pick a number. Okay. I'll I'll go through a quick type. I'll I'll go through a quick practice grid for that. So the critique I have, and and I'm a pastor. So when I critique the church, I'm in it. I'm not like an outsider poking holes. Um, So this is really a critique of my own leadership. (laughs) What What we do in the church is something like this. We say like, hey, read your Bible, come to church, pray, and maybe give some money. And in 30 years, you'll be different. Well, most people don't feel different. They just feel older after 30 years. <laughs> yes. And I begin to wonder, are we batching spiritual formation? Because if God created each of us unique and there are different ways that we can connect with the presence of God, for example, some people love nature and some people love solitude. Some people love Bible study and other people love the beach in terms of connecting with God. And so there are so many different facets of ways that I think that has to do with our genetic predisposition. It has to do with our sort of nurture over the course of time that we're forged in our personality. And I begin to wonder, I wonder if we're doing the the church a disservice by just saying, hey, do these four things and that's all, then then you'll be good. I, I wonder if it's more nuanced and beautiful and unique than that. I wonder if we would do better of equipping the church to know the, the massive anthology of how our ancestry has connected with God in very different places, in very different ways, same Jesus, and that God has met them in those places, and that that has a lot to do with our personality, that there's actually a massive treasure trove of what it means to encounter the presence, as if there's like only one way to read the Bible, as if there's only one way to pray. Are you kidding me? There's contemplative prayer. There's prophetic prayer. There's intercessory prayer. There's healing prayer. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can pray and connect with God 
And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we minimize it and say, just read your Bible. It's like, okay, is that Lexio Divina? Is that like a deep dive inductive Bible study? Is that a 365 day program? What does that mean? For instance, for me as a three, you know, I prize myself in doing stuff and achieving stuff. Yeah. Well, you had better believe that solitude and stillness and silence is a really good medicine for me <laughs> because I can get off my treadmill of needing to, to do. And God is actually inviting me to be because I spend a lot of my time in, in my life, a lot of my energy trying to achieve something. And God just gently reminding me every morning, your first step isn't to check your email. It's not to write another chapter. It's not to research your sermon. Your first step is to sit quietly in the coolness of the day with me, knowing that I love you and you can love me back. And that's going to be a much freer place. And by the way, you'll probably write a better sermon if you start in that place. So, you know, I think, I think we need to take our personality into account yeah. when it comes to designing a rule of life or when it comes to designing a spiritual rhythm that's going to best serve our transformation and our growth. So why don't you pick a type for me and I'll go through a few of the practices. Okay, let's go. Let's do type seven. I know so many type seven, so just what oh, came to so mind. Okay, because love you seven. Yes, I love the sevens. <laughs> so each type I prescribe, I don't, I describe, I should say, I don't prescribe. <laughs> so like, as you go through these, as you find practices that you like, then take them. But there are some practices that I think are more important for types than others because it's going to challenge your personality toward growth. So there's two types of practices. There's what's called downstream practices. And there's what's called upstream practices. Imagine you're on a lazy river. Whatever practices come easy for you, those are your downstream practices. You actually really like doing them. So like as a three, I love to do Bible study because I can learn information, but I hate doing centering prayer because it means I just sit there and I learn to be still, right? <laughs> I hate it too. Well, I'm like, ah! I know. So that's my upstream practice because <laughs> it means I would have to fight up the current in order to do it. Now, here's what happens. We circle what we're good at and we ignore the rest, and we call that following Jesus. <laughs> so like, I'm really good at circling Bible study and book knowledge, and I'm really good at ignoring um, mercy ministry and stillness prayer. And if I'm not careful, I'll have a distorted sort of spirituality where I just sort of have parts of my faith that are developed and other parts of my faith that are underdeveloped. So that's why we need both upstream and downstream practices. So for the seven, for example, your downstream is really simple. It's going to be feasting. It's showing up to that party and knowing like, hey, listen, I'm here and we are going to have a joyful of fun being together, having you know conversation, uh, enjoying whatever is on the table. It's going to be amazing. But when you feast, you need to be careful that you decide what is going to be appropriate before you get to the party, before you arrive at the thing. Because if you're not careful, you know, you'll stay way too long or you'll drink way too much or you'll whatever, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever thing comes up for you. And so it's good to have some discipline before you show up somewhere to know, okay, what are my limits and what am I committing to? What does tomorrow look like? And how do I need to live wisely today for the sake of making the most of tomorrow as well? Your upstream is going to be solitude and silence. And I would recommend for every seven and everywhere in the world to make sure you start your day every day in solitude and silence. And the reason for that is because you spend so much time hiding your pain. You spend so much time planning the next best thing to come along that you can sort of be unavailable to your inner life. You can develop a kind of life where you're not present to your traumas 
So you go into planning a really fun life that's entertaining as possible so that you don't have to deal with that. Well, solitude and silence get us in touch with those things. It's There's a reason why sevens want to run from that because they don't want to have to face that. At the same time, it's really good for you to face that, that shadow side, and to seek healing within that so that you can name what it is that's you know wounded in you and you can move toward transformation and growth. And then I also prescribe a time of the church calendar that you should pay attention to. That's the annual rhythm of following Jesus. Some of you come from, you know, liturgical traditions where you know about that. Others of you don't. It's not a problem. I didn't grow up with it either. But there's this time in the calendar called Lent. And it's that time of the year where we realize, like, it's by saying no to things that we get to say yes to things. So, like, for example, we might say no to chocolate for 40 days because it means that we're saying yes every time we crave that sugar rush, that sweet tooth. It's a reminder, oh my goodness, like God is sweeter than honey. And how do I now pray knowing that God will meet me in that place and satisfy my appetite and my my desires? And so that's like a beautiful way. You know, a lot of people think Lent is about saying no to things. Well, it is, but it's really about saying yes. It's about saying yes to what is greater by saying no to what is lesser. So sevens need to get in touch with that kind of spirituality. Otherwise, they'll just settle for substitutes rather than seeking what their hearts really long for. I love that. AJ, can we do one more type? Because I'm so fascinated by this. I want to do one more. Can we do that? Okay. I also Mm -hmm. want to do the two because I find that so there's so many twos in in our community and so many people who just, who want to serve and who overgive, you know, and I think this is, it's so important. And the twos want to feel seen. I I feel like, so let's, (laughs) I want to address the twos. I find twos, let, let me make sure I say this rightly because it's it's good news and it's also bad news, but it's mostly good news. <laughs> I find twos often at my workshops, often the twos that break down are women. And there are twos that are born twos. And then there are twos that feel like they had to become twos in order to, oh. to satisfy a caregiver or a cultural mandate on your life that you're not allowed to really be seen and pursue your dreams that you can only help behind the scenes. Ah, And so twos often will cry at workshops because they realize that someone put something on them from an early age and that they haven't been free to be who they are. For those that are born twos that feel like, you know, you're so proud to be a two and there's a lot of reason to be proud to be a two. That's a wonderful personality. Your downstream is hospitality. Obviously everywhere you go, you're able to see a need really quickly and meet it. You have a kind of emotional intelligence. A lot of people don't have, but you need to be careful. Okay. And here's the biggest thing I'll say to the twos that I learned that just blew my mind. There's a difference between working for love and working from love. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between serving for love and serving from love. What I mean by that is this, sometimes twos serve in hospitality and service because they use it as a way to get love. And that's a really damaging thing to do because there's a secret pride there that you can kind of develop a real calcified hard edge if you're not careful of like bitterness toward other people, because you'll say things in your head like, oh, if you only knew all I did for you, (laughs) you if you only knew how much I actually love you, then you would do this in return, right? So twos, when you're serving from love, knowing that God has loved you and that you freely give, you no longer have to expect anything in return. It's like a one-way love that you can give to people without demanding that they do something that they maybe didn't sign up for. So hospitality is your downstream. It comes naturally and you're really good at it. The upstream for you is centering prayer. And again, like the seven and like the three, doing is more natural for you than being. 
Centering prayer is about getting a sacred word or a kind of short little prayer that you connect with your breathing because it gives your frontal lobe, that part of your brain that's just racing with ideas and checklists and et cetera, et cetera, all the time, it gives it something to do. So whether it's just connecting with your breathing, the word shalom, and you just breathe it in and out or the word peace or whatever it could be, right? Centering prayer just for five, 10, 15 minutes of the day. If you'll do that, you'll give your frontal lobe something to do and you'll allow your mind to open up to the presence of God to where you can be served and you don't have to rush into doing in order to know who you are. So start from a place of being every morning. Now, the time, the time of the church calendar that I recommend for twos is Maundy Thursday, which is sort of right before Passover, right before Jesus goes to the cross. What does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. He serves. And what I tell twos to do is every day on this time of the year, don't serve anyone. Mm. Be served. You know, Jesus said to Peter, Peter was like, hey, let me wash your feet. And Jesus was like, no, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And the twos sometimes have a secret pride. They struggle to be served by other people because they think, well, that's my job. My job is to serve here. And I always want to tell twos, listen, on Monday, Thursday, go get a mani-pedi. On Monday, Thursdays, go get a killer massage. Right. Because it's that reminder, hey, listen, you're worth it. You're worthy of being served. You're an awesome person and you don't have to serve everywhere you go all the time. You can be served because you're worthy of it. I love this. I'm just thinking into it. Like I, I'm not, I am a three, but I still like take a lot from like the twos and then my wing is really a four, but I'm like, Oh man, like the, a lot mm-hmm. of what you're saying also, I can just relate to so much. I think too, in that practice is realizing what our boundaries are and just within all of the, these contexts uh, for me as a three, it's really easy, easy for me to do the downstream practices. I'm like, that's easy. I could do that all day long. I feel great. I feel productive. I'm going to do that Bible study, but it's then the upstream practices that I'm like, Oh, okay okay, this is really hard because it doesn't seem efficient and I want to be efficient right now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And that's it's so helpful. It helps me to level set, I suppose, and really be holistic in my spiritual formation. I think something I've also learning just through reading your book and just overall, AJ, is for me, it, it's really helpful to, to understand things like the tools like the Enneagram because I can also understand that the way I do it, the way I connect with God, the way that I practice these spiritual disciplines are unique to me and how I function. And they're not going to be how everybody else does it. Yes, that's (laughs) Um, exactly right. That has been a big learning for me because like even in dating, I'm like, well, you know, I think that we, and I will just say this, I think women do this not to keep calling the ladies out, but I think women do this a lot to guys. We expect guys to be a very specific kind of quote unquote spiritual leader. And therefore he has to like connect with God in very specific ways. And we kind of put on this list of like how a man should be doing and connecting with God. And we forget that there is this uniqueness in, in his personality and how he is, you know, is, has been formed and carries out his life. And there are different ways in which he might express that. And it may look like different from you and that's okay. Because I think we, especially as women has have a very specific ideal of what that is supposed to look like. And this whole practice and, and tool has helped me to kind of shift my mindset on that. Absolutely. Nothing more to add. You nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, we need to know that everybody functions in a different way and be open to that. It's called differentiation. Right. And, And differentiation can be a threat to us because we assume that what we think and how we move in life is normative and that everyone should be like that. You know, you learn that in leadership. Oh, why don't they do it like I do? 
and you realize, well, it's sort of a gift that people don't do that like I do. And learning that is so helpful for your own leadership, for your own relationships, of learning the gift of differentiation, that they don't have to be like me, that I can actually enjoy them for who they are in themselves, and they can do the same. And we can revel in the fact that God made us differently. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, if every tree looked the same, you'd be like, how boring. Yeah. I mean, how amazing is it that we have all these different species of trees and the ways they come out of the ground and the fruits they bear? I mean, it's so beautiful. And so learning the beauty of what God has created to be diverse is such a good thing for the human story. We're still learning that through recovering, through racism and inequality. We're still having to learn hard lessons of what it means to value the other that might think or look or act different than you do. Yes. I think that's one of, I think ultimately this is one of our biggest learnings, even just this year of like learning that like it's okay for us all to be different and that there's space for all of, (laughs) there's space for all of that. And there's love to be had amidst all of that. And I just want to publicly apologize to every guy I've ever dated where I tried to make them do all the things that I thought they should do to be a spiritual leader. So, so sorry if you're listening, that's just, I needed to put that out there. Um, because I'm like, I know I put my own programming onto people like, Oh no, you should be doing it this way. Totally. And and I've had men say to me before, like, I feel like you just want everything to be very specific, exactly how you would do it. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I, 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 in fact, no, I'm not the only one that does that. And I'm a work in progress, everybody. Yes. Okay. So AJ, this is so helpful. You know, we're going to close out the interview with the same question I ask every guest, which is what is your final nugget of dating advice for the listeners today? Well, people will ask me all the time, hey, should I date a certain number? Should I marry a certain type? Are some types better than others? So um, I always say no, that, that there's no type that's better than others. In fact, every type in combination with others makes this beautiful uniqueness of who that couple is for the world. And so that's not an issue. The issue is this. The key to every relationship thriving comes down to one word, and it's humility. When asked about the four cardinal virtues, St. Augustine said they are number one, humility, number two, humility, number three, humility, number four, humility. When each relationship partner is in humble submission to the other, no matter what your enneotype is, it's beautiful for each other and to the world. It's learning to consent and defer to your partner, not in a way that's passive and acquiescent, but in a way that you both can really be for each other, for each other's flourishing and thriving and can humbly attend to the other person to make sure that they are thriving in the relationship and in their vocation and in their life. So when that happens on both sides of the party, it's sort of like a roof coming together, meeting itself in the middle, and it's a beautiful covering for the world. I love it. Oh, man. It's so good. AJ, thank you so much just for all the wisdom inside. This was so fun to just catch up like an old friend, you know, too. I'm just like so behind you and all that you're doing. And if people want to connect with you or get the book, where can they where can they do all of that? Yeah. So anywhere books are sold, uh, Amazon as well, the Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. I lead workshops. So if you ever want a virtual or in-person, ajsheryl.org. And I lead a church in Charleston called St. Peter's Church, little Anglican church that uh, loves Jesus, loves the kingdom, and is uh, 
operating for the glory of God. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about where I am. I love it. AJ, friend, thank you so much for today. I'm so excited. (laughs) I I hope people get even that much more immersed in the end year. I hope this was like a reset for people because I love this tool so much. And I'm so excited to see people use it in a a fresh way for the flourishing of the kingdom. So Awesome. Grace and peace to you, Kate. You too, AJ. Bye. I told you, AJ is the man. He is so, so, so wise, way smarter than me, like I said. And I don't know about you guys, but I just walked away from this conversation learning so much. I think the biggest distinction that was so helpful for me was a distinction between identity that is rooted and inherent. We are beloved because God calls us beloved and that is inherent in the DNA of our being. So the difference between identity and personality and the outworking of the Enneagram is the ways in which we have a strategy through our personality. You guys, this is such a big learning and distinction because if we can realize that, we can then transform these different areas of our personality and sharpen them and use them to walk into the fullness of who God has created us to be. I just want to thank AJ again for such an incredible episode. And as always, you guys, I'm so thankful for you and our community. We keep growing and it just makes me so excited. And so that's it for this week, but we will see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.